This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast. New England is 6-1 and one at home, but was it their last game with Callum Crawford till late April? San Diego wins big at home over Vancouver. D-coach Bill Greer stops by. The Wings are back in action after two weeks off. GM and head coach Paul Day checks in. And Greggy's Grinders grinds my gear. All that more on OTCB. I What is good, lacrosse fans, and welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud and NLL Radio. My name is Teddy Jenner. Thank you for tuning in. If you want to get hold of me here at the show, as always, you can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar, or you can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. I've had people asking me about Wes Berg this week. Um, he is still without contract in Calgary. There doesn't seem to be any signs of a deal to be made. There are rumblings of maybe him moving in the offseason, but that's just rumors and speculation. Obviously, a lot of talk was being made around the NLL about the situation with Callum Crawford and how that will affect the Black Wolves. We'll check in on that as the show goes on. But as mentioned, Bill Greer, Paul Day, and Pat Gregoire We'll stop by this week with Bill. We talk about his life in the NLL. He and I were both drafted in the same draft class. He went two picks before me. He went to Columbus. I go to Rochester. Uh, he's got more titles than I do. He's got like twice as many years in the league as I do. The guy that drafted me into the National Lacrosse League, Paul Day, GM and head coach of the Wings, checks in. He was in Mexico uh, while the Wings were on a little holiday of two weeks off. He's refreshed, he's rejuvenated, and Coach Day is ready to get his boys back on the winning streak. They have a huge game at home against Buffalo on Friday as the Bandits play a doubleheader this weekend against Philadelphia and Georgia on Friday and Saturday. So a big weekend coming up for the Bandits as they can really solidify themselves as the number one team overall in the NLL. They're on a five-game winning streak. They're 9-2 and two on the season. And, of course, Pat Gregoire checks in, and I said Greggy's Grinders grinds my gears, and I it's because I had to take a little bit of, of offense to just something that he said in his article on Inside the Cross. Not his premise, just situational stuff. We'll, he and I will talk about that in depth as the show goes on. Um, but this past weekend was another sort of fairly quiet one in the National Cross League, only four games this past weekend, week 12, week 13, only has four games, one Friday, three Saturday. But if you missed any of the action from this past weekend, Rochester goes down to Georgia and falls 15-11. Calgary goes into Saskatchewan and drops one 15-9. Vancouver and San Diego played another thriller with the Seals coming out on top 13-10. And a little Sunday fun day wasn't so much fun for the Mammoth as they let up 17 to the Black Wolves who cruise to a six-goal victory, 17-11. Here are just some of the highlights. Church, down low, up top. Now it's Keenan in front, he scores! Ryan Keenan, right at the top of the crease. It's a power play goal, and we're tied at one. And now in transition, shorthanded, and a diving effort. Courier scores on the rebound. What a sensational play there by the Roughnecks. Shorthanded misses on that shot. Chapman picks it up. Matthews by the goal, dives and scores! Mark Matt 
Matthews, what a goal! Now five left on the shot clock. McIntosh coming off the wall. Has Church, he scores! Robert Church, stick a fork in him. This one's over, baby. 59 rush. Seals keep it. Nice cut from Jackson. Jackson in front, scores! Warriors have numbers the other way in front and score in front with Jordan McBride. He has his second. It was a four-on-one as they hurried ahead and the Warriors answer. Led 8-4 a moment ago to start the third. There's a cutter in front. Jones who scores and makes it a one-goal game. Dawson. Gotta shoot this thing. Find his back. Shot. Score! Here go towards the net and score! That should be the icing on the take. Kyle Buchanan with his fifth fitting, goal of the game. Fitting finish for Buchanan. Seals are going to get out of here with a hard-fought season series win over the Warriors. Black Wolves loop the ball around. Less than two minutes to go in the first half. Digby, talk about whistling shots. We get one on the right side now. Tyler Digby has two goals for New England, and the Black Wolves retake the lead here in Uncasville. Auckland was waiting for it. Another skip, and Rue scores. Jacob Rue played tic-tac-toe with McLaughlin. He got the ball back on that right side, and missiles won by Jamison. Has it now, five to shoot. Was trying to pick and roll with Digby. Has to do it himself and scores. Oh, my. Nine-point afternoon for Callum Crawford. Cole stands against the glass, moving in the middle. Cole sends it across as they work it around. Starts with a score! Jackson gets that rebound. And there's a goal. Pat Saunders. With his first goal of the night. Look at that rebound right there by Brandon Robertson. And he can't convert it. Robinson gets triple team, somehow breaks out of it, sends it across, back to Robinson, shot, score! Ball loose on the turf, still being fought for. Finally picked up by holding to Tony. Send it Jackson, scores! Kyle Thompson, those breakaway opportunities don't come, come around often, Drew. And Cole with the ripper that scores! That was Brian Cole's hat trick goal. He puts up six points as the Swarm cruise over Rochester. And the Swarm able to keep pace with the Rock and the Bandits. Swarm sitting in third, a game and a half out of first, a half game behind Toronto, and a half game ahead of the Black Wolves. And the top four teams in the East have really separated themselves from the bottom two of Rochester and Philadelphia. And it's a four. Sorry, a three-and-a-half, no, a four-and-a-half game spread between fourth, Black Wolves, and then the tied for fifth, Nighthawks and Wings. And we've all talked about the suspension that's looming for Callum Crawford, the upcoming schedule for the New England Black Wolves, and how it is a little, maybe we could call it a little easier, Obviously, there's no easy games in the National Cross League, and you never want to you know, put the cart in front of the horse. But 
They play Vancouver, Philly, Rochester, three teams well under 500. Then they go, they play home to San Diego, and then their end of the schedule, Toronto, Buffalo, Rochester. So they got four games off the hop that they very well could win, solidifying them in the playoffs. And those last three games of the season obviously will be very tough as they finish the year off. And they may not get Callum Crawford back till April 27th. As mentioned, we'll talk a little more about that with Pat Gregoire. And a lot of people are trying to figure out the suspension, the reasoning for the suspensions, what's going to happen, the appeal process that's going on. Again, we'll talk about much of that later in the show. But let's get something off the chest, as we often like to do, to kick things off. We're going to hear from Bill Greer in a minute. But this past weekend, there was a ton of social buzz for the lacrosse world. Whether it was the PLL unveiling their rosters through emojis, whether it was the Kyle Jackson between the leg, no-look top cheese, or the high school kid wave video. All three really took the social world by storm, especially obviously in the lacrosse circles, but they started to branch out into further realms, especially the two viral videos of Jackson and the young high school kid. Now, the Jackson one was obviously an incredible goal. Uh, I've got it down as early candidate for goal of the year. It didn't bounce. It went straight top cheese. Uh, There's a couple great angles of it. But whenever there is a lacrosse highlight, and someone made the point of, for once, there is a lacrosse play that shows the beauty of the game, the speed of the game, the skills of the players. And we're not, it's not because it's a brawl or a fight or a big illegal hit. This is something that is a part of our game. It shows the skill of our athletes, and people are getting frustrated with it. More importantly, whenever a positive lacrosse highlight video comes out, the drunks, the naysayers, and the haters all come out of the woodworks. Go look at either of those two goal, the two plays, the Wave or the Jackson, and just look at all the hate that is in those threats. Calling them Brad, Chad, and Lyle, or what was the... Brad, Chad, and Tanner. Hey, guys, don't hurt your hair. Like, I I just love lacrosse haters. It blows my mind that in 2019, we still have the lax bro culture mentality from outsiders. People were trying to figure out why the high school game was being filmed in 4K. Then you get box purists who can't stand what the kid did in waving to his opponent after he broke his ankles and knocked him to the turf on a dodge. If it's James Harden, if it's Antonio Brown, if it's Sidney Crosby, if it's Bryce Harper, If a big-name, top-four, top-five sport athletes makes that play, it goes viral. Everybody loves it. 
Memes are made of it. It is number one on SportsCenter. Everybody loves it. But as soon as it happens in lacrosse, it's disrespectful. And I don't get it. Like, I can understand you seeing that the guy was being unsportsmanlike after he waved to the guy when he fell to the ground. Let these kids have some personality. I'm excited that, you know, players are allowed to celebrate a little more in field lacrosse when they score a goal because when I was in college, you weren't allowed to. If you high-stepped after scoring a goal, you'd get a flag. Now we're allowing kids to be themselves, express themselves, and because a kid waves at a guy after he jukes him out of his shoes, goes down and scores a goal, we're going to chastise this young kid? Makes no sense. On both the Jackson goal and the Stephen LeBlanc dunk goal in the Mammoth game, the LeBlanc goal was number one on SportsCenter in the U.S. on Sunday. And all that the announcers could say was all they could do was remark on the size of the goaltenders. I had one guy on the Shane Jackson goal say that to the degree of get that goalie out of there, why is he wearing so much padding? Do people not understand? And probably a lot of field purists have the same idea of why is that guy wearing so much padding? Smaller net, smaller confines, a lot harder to save. You need the pad. It just boggles my mind that whenever something awesome happens in lacrosse, we still have people shutting us down. It blows my mind. We have world-class athletes playing at the peak of their athletic ability, doing things that normal athletes cannot do, and we get crapped on. I like the fact that TSN, ESPN, Sportsnet, Sports Center, whatever you want to watch, is starting to show clips and starting to put it out there. But the fact that there's still haters out there just boggles my mind. I think it's always going to be there. I think there's always going to people going to be people who see uh, any form of lacrosse as the lax bro culture. just upsetting at times when like the wave video has nearly 5 million views across many platforms and there's probably more out there just based on like uh, house of highlights barstool and espn there's like 5 million hits just off those three platforms people are noticing and yet so many people still continue to hate on the game of lacrosse Get with the times, folks. Get with the times. San Diego Seals knocked off the Vancouver Warriors for the third, sorry, the second time this year. They take the season series two games to one. And it was another back and forth game between those two clubs. They seem to always play some nail biter games. And it ends up being a 13 to 10 win for San Diego over Vancouver. 
Mitch Jones had a great game for Vancouver, as he's done all year. Four goals, two assists. Logan Schuss dropping five dimes. On the other side of the floor, Casey Jackson and Austin Stotts led the way with six points each, as did Kyle Buchanan. And the thing with San Diego is everybody remarks about Austin Stotts. They remark about the veteran leadership of guys like Dawson and Billings and Merrill and Holding and Sorichetti and Buchanan. But I think a lot of people forget to throw Frank Shiliano's name in that mix. And I think he has been a huge part of their success. I think getting him into the fold as the number one goaltender was probably a priority for them. And I think it's been a match made in heaven for both Frank and for the San Diego Seals, especially D-coach Bill Greer, who's able to have another veteran presence on that back end to keep things calm and composed if things happen to go sideways. And so I caught up with Bill Greer, 15-year National Lacrosse Leaguer, resides in the GTA, and I always like to find out how things are going on the other side of the country. Yeah, I mean, not not nearly as nice coming home uh, last night. I kind of forgot how much snow we had. We had probably good foot of snow here, so uh, that's the reality coming home from from San Diego uh, each week. But uh, yeah, I mean, can't can't complain. Good to be home and be with the fam. So yeah, it's just uh, it's pretty bitter cold though. <laughs> how many little ones you got now? I have two, two. Yeah. yeah, my yeah daughter and a son. So Addison and Ryder. So yeah, seven and five. So lots of fun. He was busy. And uh, are they upset every time dad leaves? Uh, yeah, they are. You know what? They're, they're pretty awesome. They, uh, I mean, they get it. Like my daughter still remembers me playing and, and all that. So, and my son too. So they, uh, you know, it helps when, when uncle Danny's on, on the team and uncle Polly and, and, and yeah. uncle Zach and other fam. Right. So uh, they, they get it. But the biggest thing is, uh, you know, they have to watch the game the next day or whatever. Right. Cause, uh, of cause it being so late. So, that's been an adjustment, but yeah, no, they're, yeah, they're excited. It's good. To, it's always good to come home. So, so your daughter must have remembered and you were a rock in your, in your later days of your career, you played 15 years in the NLL. Yeah. When you think back on those days, did you ever think it would last that long? No, no, not at all. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. I'm, I'm so fortunate, man. It's, uh, it was, I mean, no regrets. I feel very, very lucky. The, the career I had, it, you know, had, knee surgeries along the way and pretty early in my career and um obviously fortunate enough to play with a bunch of great guys and, and coaches and and then to play my last five years in, in Toronto and my family and and uh and all that was yeah it was it was really special so yeah I mean 15 years yeah it's I mean starting in the land shark days and busting all yeah. over the place and uh <laughs> you know like uh yeah it's uh it's funny so there's still some of those guys still playing but uh yeah, I know it was it was a really good run. So it's fun fun to be on the other side of things too, though. So yeah, it's been good. There were there were always rumors that that Columbus Arena was haunted. Did you ever see any extra you know spookiness while you were playing in Columbus? No, I didn't. I mean, the crowds weren't that big, so it was a little <laughs> bit of eerie. Maybe that was a little uh, scary. Yeah, that could have been it. Yeah, we had a. I mean, if Ohio State was playing or something, there was there was very few people in there. Right, but yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that was that was a fun time. We were a real young team, and we had a good group of young guys, so we really enjoyed our our years there. And you look back, a lot of guys played for a lot of years, so yeah, we, it was it was it was a good time. And no better way to get close as a team than traveling on the bus, right? So <laughs> the yeah. sleeper buses. 
Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was, were you uh, was were you fun. there when uh, a young Dan Dawson was first drafted? Yeah, we're Danny and I were in the same the same draft year. So uh, yeah, we there was a, a whole bunch of us. So yeah, that's how Danny and I first started uh, playing together. Unreal. Two thousand one. Yeah, and and then uh, yeah, yeah, a couple years in Columbus, two years in Arizona and Anaheim, all teams that don't exist. Welcome to that club. Um, yeah, I hear you. I know you're in there too, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, those were the days. Um, but uh, obviously, your four years in Rochester were pretty special, uh, especially that 2007 year where you scored the game winner uh, in the championship game in Arizona. Everything that revolved around that game. How special was that year for you as a player? Oh man, that year was. Yeah, I mean, they, they say that about championship teams, right? You you walk with those guys forever, those, those mm-hmm. kind of things, right? Those cliches, but it's true. We had, we had a really special group. We won, I think we were one and two to start that season, and then we uh, we rhymed off like 16, 17 wins in a row. So, um, yeah, I mean, junior was just being junior. If you think about Evans and all the guys that could fill the net and pretty good D group too. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and, and Pat, it, it, was, it was pretty special. Like, circus in town. You know, you got to go to Arizona to win it, and uh, during the day, and you know, it was it was pretty pretty special. So yeah, we did a reunion a couple of years ago, a ten year one, and it was, it was right. good to see a lot of the guys. So yeah, it's funny. I mean, lost a couple championships after that, uh, yeah. but you know, that I'm so fortunate to be able to to win one. You think you think you're gonna might win a few, right? right. And then yeah, it doesn't always work out. So yeah, that one was special. Obviously, throughout 15 years, you're going to play for some really great coaches, and you had uh, a lot of them uh, in your tenure. What lessons and and ideologies did you take from some of those guys that have led to your coaching style now? Uh, really good, really good question. I honestly, I mean, some some of the guys. I mean, Eddie Como obviously comes to mind. Eddie. I don't know what it is with Eddie. Like he just has this way with guys, you know, he just relates with them and he builds these relationships. Like, um, you know, you just want to do, you go through a wall for him. Right. And, and, you know, he believes in you and, and, you know, he can just say those subtle things to you or, or what have you. And, and it just, it makes you feel good. And it makes you feel like you want to be, you know, play, play for your teammates and play for him. And, um, you know, I had some really good years under Eddie and he traded for me in New York and Orlando and, uh, and, you know, I was pretty, you know, grateful, always tough being traded, but going, going with him and obviously Derek Keenan as well. And mm-hmm. Anaheim, I had a short stint there, eight games and um, the Whippy connection there and, you know, very similar coaching styles, but uh, a little different. And I mean, Troy accordingly and Terry Sanderson, some guys that are pretty intense. So I, I, I bounced around with some different styles, but mm-hmm. even a guy like John Lovell, um, John's the kind of guy that would call you up, you know, after games or preseason and just and just have these half hour long chats with you about life or the team and um i think for me a big thing is, is you know i'm trying to do right now is trying to you know build relationships with guys and and um find out what makes them play at their best and be at their best so and i mean lastly i mean you know how fortunate have i been to coach with patty merrill yeah uh, in six nations and and I mean, we were really lucky to stumble. I mean, well, he was and bring me along. So, um, you know, if, I know, you know, Patty really well and mm-hmm. for me and, and having Josh there and, you know, I'm just soaking it all in and it's been, uh, it's been a really awesome experience this year. So and I try, I guess I, I try to take a little bit. I mean, Josh and Patty are pretty intense and I think I am too. And I think it's, it's a good mesh and maybe I'm a little bit more of the, 
Eddie style and uh, then yeah. intense style. But yeah, I think for us as a team, it's been working uh, so far. It's been a lot of fun. So you seem like you're having a lot of fun behind the bench. Yeah, you know, like you know it would be, and have we have you know bench experience, but uh, it's nerve wracking. Like it's intense. It's it's a different feeling when you're playing, right? It's, of course. It's uh, but at the same time. Um, I mean, how, how lucky are the three of us to be together, guys that have been friends for a long time and yeah. and know each other and get along so well. And then with this group of leaders and young guys, yeah. So we just, you know, I mean, winning's fun, right? So yeah. <laughs> we've been fortunate to win some games here in our first year, and that that obviously is uh, is helping a lot. And I think I think uh, you know what it's like in NL. You win, everyone's on cloud nine. When you lose, it's like yeah. You don't want nobody wants to be around you during the week, but uh, yeah, 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 so far it's been really good. Obviously, with an expansion team, the the highs and lows are a little bit different to take away the the, the messages and the lessons from each loss. How is this group? Obviously, with the leaders like Billings and Holding and Dawson and even Frankie on the back end and, and guys like Garrett McIntosh who have been around the league for a while. How much do you rely on those guys in situations where you know your team's struggling and sometimes the message just doesn't come across? You like you nailed it on the head. Like you think about that leadership group for for a young team and a new team. Like you know we're so fortunate, and it is our. I mean our four guys, you know Cam and Bucky, obviously Dan and Brody. But then you're right, it is Frankie. I, I include mm-hmm. him in there, and Adrian and and Garrett and Tor. Like it's a really it's a really good group of leaders. We did kind of breaking the season down into six game sets, right, and right. and uh, into thirds, and we we sent out a. Patty sent out a thing asking guys to send in an email and, and a response and things that have gone well and things that we can improve on. It was like every guy in the team talked about the the leadership group and how much they mean to them. And, and uh, I mean, we knew that, but to hear from guys individually was, it was pretty special. So I think that that's, you know, it's a huge reason for our success right now is those guys, they're professionals and, yeah. and they have great habits on and off the floor. So that's rubbing off on everybody. Yeah. As a coach who's made the jump from junior A now to senior, how have you had to to adjust your coaching style? Because, you know, from minor to junior is one thing. Junior to senior is a completely different thing. Yeah, and it has been, you know, completely different. And and even just being out of the game for only a couple years here, right? But, yeah, um, yeah, I I think in in junior, you're – you, you have them for a short time and you're, and you're trying to, you know, teach them a lot of things. And um, I, I think for us right now, you know, it's a lot of X's and O's, sorry, in, in junior and, and you're trying to develop them and develop their games in a way. And, and we're doing that now, but I think this year we focused a lot on our, our culture and we focused a lot on, you know, kind of our core values and our beliefs, things that we're, we're trying to instill in the guys. And then, and then, a lot of it comes to preparation each week. So how can we, these guys are pros, right? They know how to play. How can we do our part and prepare them, you know, for the team at hand or the task at hand. And that's the biggest thing we're finding, right. Is, is, is making sure these guys know what they're doing. Can they be prepared and are they ready to compete at that high of a level every week mentally and, and physically? So that's been, that's been the biggest adjustment I'd say. And I think it's been, uh, it's been a fun challenge. Yeah, but you're right. It is, it's, it's quite different. How is your farmer's tan coming from all those outdoor practices? Oh, buddy, isn't that like? <laughs> I know other guys like they post that those pictures of the sunset in the background, and 
Um, Shooter's hilarious. He he just he leans. Sometimes he'll I'll catch him leaning up against the board, and you can tell <laughs> we we got shades on, uh, and you know we'll just look over each other. We'll be like, like we're like, can we? How can you beat this right yeah. now? Right? Like it's it's uh, it is it's it's actually even better than than the pictures. It, it's pretty awesome. So I mean, we got a great facility there and Steve and Josh and the, the whole organization, like we're, we're just so, so fortunate. The guys are so fortunate. I mean, there's like 10 guys living down there, you know, personal training, you know, going to the beach and, and, and they're just being looked after really well and all that stuff is translating into some success for us. So yeah, it's pretty awesome though. Nine games in, you guys are five and four. Uh, you're sitting right in the heart of the West. If you had to, grade your team as we are at the halfway point where would you put yourself i mean i think if we had said five and four before the season started i think we would have been we would have been pretty darn happy and, and we are and we still are for sure i think um you know it was a really big emotional win last week i think we put a lot into that we had the bye week and we knew a tiebreaker game um get them to eight losses it was it was a big important game for us and maybe a little bit of redemption from how we played in last time we saw them so mm-hmm. That was big, and to get above 500, and but the West is, is wide open, right? It's funny, like such a big win, and then you look at okay, next week we got the same kind of thing we're facing yeah. the same thing again, right? So a team that's going to be hungry and desperate and a tiebreaker game. So, but I mean overall, I think what I, I'd say the team has come together um, as a group, probably as well or better than we could have expected. You know, it, it really does have that feeling in the room, and it does have that 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 family atmosphere so all that has gone really well and and at the same time we're still trying to figure out you know lineup and and who should be in and some of the you know it's kind of taking some time to figure out guys roles and all that kind of stuff so I think we're starting to get comfortable with that um but there's still a long way to go here so we we still need to put some uh some wins together for sure we talked a little bit about Frankie but how important has he been to your club having that experience and just a solid tender between the pipes that you know you're going to get a solid 60 minutes every night well if you didn't ask the question i was going to bring it up <laughs> <laughs> like I, I it's funny i was thinking about it today you know when i was talking to you i'm like this frankie's just not uh, not that anybody cares or frankie would care about being getting the love or anything I, but he has been like he's been absolutely unbelievable for us and i i know like a guy like yourself would see that and others guys that are watching but he's just been for a defensive coach like he's he's been the backbone of all this so we're uh yeah we're obviously thrilled with how he's played his leadership uh the kind of person he is like we do our weekly conference calls frankie's got such great insight every week like he's he's just he's the man like he, mm-hmm. he's played really really well game in and game out so um yeah like in my mind he, he would be up there i mean he'd be up there in the mvp kind of category right yeah, yeah. like he's he's been that that good for an expansion team to have a goalie play that well like uh he, he's been phenomenal so yeah i know he's and I, I know like i mean we were lucky to be able to snag him right in in the yeah. in the dispersal and shooter knew him really well and i and you know him and patty were from day one i mean there were some free agents out there i'm sure that you know were talked about but frankie was was our guy and he hasn't disappointed so I was kind of surprised looking at the expansion draft that how long it took for both teams to take goaltenders. Yeah, I think well, I think some of it obviously was pretty predetermined on on right, who was yeah. going where with the teams, right? So I, I don't know if the order mattered as much. Um, 
yeah, I, I think basically we knew that Frankie, you know, was was going to be coming this way, so mm-hmm. it didn't matter as much. But Fair uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was you no, know, he was. You know, from my perspective, I, he would have maybe been first, right? Yeah, that's, <laughs> like, that's kind of, that was my thinking, right? Like, as, yeah, as yeah. a fantasy team, you want to be able to say, like, we're going to have a solid number one. And when with a guy like Frankie standing out there in that pool, I was like, I can't believe that he lasted so long and nobody took it. But like you said, there's probably some preconceived notions of who was going to go where, but it just seemed a little weird that, that it took him so long. Um, obviously, another guy that went first is uh, your good buddy, Austin Stott. You've obviously watched him mature over the last few years. What makes him so special from a defensive coach's point of view? Well, the thing about Austin is he, he's just a gamer, right? He's he's literally lives and breathes. He's a competitor. He wants, he wants to win. He wants to be great. Um, you know, all those things. And, and the guy knows how to win, right? So, um Patty and I knew him really well and he was, you know, obviously we were so fortunate to win that, the coin toss and, mm-hmm. and get a player of his caliber. And he's, he's, I'll tell you, he's moved down there. He's, he's just, you know, the guys love him. doesn't matter. I mean, in six nations too, the, the guys love him. He's just the happy go lucky. He wants to play lacrosse, wants to be great. He can be the hardest worker at a practice. You know, he's just, he's doing all those things. He's working out extremely hard with our strength coach, Paul and, um, all the guys down there. So I, you know what, I'm so happy for him. I knew he was, he was going to be uh, something special this year, but he's, mm-hmm. he's, you know, he's playing how many four goal games is he putting up and, uh, yeah. and that, and he's, um, but it's, it's uh, not just that though. It's, it's all the other intangibles and, and uh, the fact that how much the guys all love him. And so it's been a great, it's been a great fit for sure. He's starting to become a bit of a fan favorite down there in San Diego too. Oh yeah, he's for <laughs> yeah him or him and Frankie and uh, yeah I mean yeah and he he, he you know he, you can just see how much he enjoys it right he scores yeah, a goal like who who celebrates you know I haven't <laughs> seen that since back in 2001 where guys were jumping into the crowd or the early yeah. days but he uh, yeah. he he just loves the game he loves life so he's yeah he's an easy guy for fans to get behind for sure. Big game this weekend in Colorado. Second time you played him, you mentioned the tiebreaker. You played him the first game of the year. What do you learn uh, from that first game, even though both teams are, are really different from the start of the year? Yeah, I mean, obviously with them, um, this is an extremely hard-working team, right? Like Patty Coyle, all, you know, all the respect in the world for him as a coach, and they they work extremely hard. They got a great defense. You know, everything starts with their goaltending, obviously. Uh, Dylan's you know, yeah, he's one of the best in the world, if not right up there. So he's, I mean, they got a really, really strong squad um, offensively. Obviously, Eli's been, um, he's a load, he's, he's hard to handle. And Benny, they got that left side that can put the ball in the net. And then the right side is some great shooters and smaller, faster guys. So they, I mean, they, they have a really, really good team. Like there's no, you know, it's funny. We talk even every week, we talk a lot as coaches and we look at who's ahead and things and he, you think, well, you know, that's going to be a real tough game because they work mm-hmm. hard and they and they have great coaching and great teams. So yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a battle. It's funny, it's a, the, all these games are emotional, right? I mean, the first game of the year for us in their barn, but our first ever game, you know, we were going to be up for that. So we just got to make sure we're ready again this week for that same kind of effort level uh, because they're going to be playing desperate too. So yeah, it's going to be should be a good game. Um, before I let you go, did you know that you went two picks ahead of me in the 2001 draft? I, I swear you might, I, you sent a tweet out, I think at some point in the last, uh, 
I don't know if what it was, but last few months. But uh, yeah, I think I think I did see that recently. Yeah, yeah you went nine. Good draft. You went, you went nine <laughs> to Columbus. You were right behind Jeff Snyder. Is that oh, Snyder was ahead of me? Okay, wow, yeah. that's good company. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> yeah, there's. Uh, yeah, it was a good draft. There was, uh, I mean, a few whippy guys, and I mean, it's it's nice to be drafted in years when there's expansion, right? You're going yeah. Right, yeah. You get a little bit more playing time and and an opportunity. So, yeah, no, it was. Uh, seems like a few years ago now. Greer's always a pleasure, my man. Uh, safe travels this weekend. I'll see you in Colorado. Hopefully. Uh, the victory isn't yours this time, and uh, we'll talk yeah. to you. Yeah, it was great great seeing you last time too, Teddy, and yeah, great talking to you today. So I uh, look forward to it, buddy, and uh, yeah, take care. We'll talk soon. That's Bill Greer, D coach for the San Diego Seals, and the relationship that Billy, Pat Merrill, and Josh Sanderson have uh, is a very tight one. They have been together as teammates uh, for many years, uh, played together, coached together, played against each other, so there is a very tight, cohesive uh, chemistry between those three, and it really adds to the flavor of their team. They all kind of take on the different presences of their coaches. You have some very fiery guys that resemble Pat and Shooter. You have some very calm, quiet, composed guys that maybe resemble Bill Greer, but everybody is bought into that system within that group. They're being you know, treated great by Joe Sy and Steve Govett and the whole SEALs group. They're living the life down the sunshine, the outdoor practice box, the scooters on every corner. It's a good life down in San Diego. Five and four, halfway through the season. Got to be pretty happy with that. There's obviously some games on either side of the ledger that could have gone either way. But if you were to ask at the beginning of the year, would you take five and four and sitting fairly comfortable in third? I'm sure they would take that. They have a big game this weekend in Colorado against the Mammoth. Um, A win, and they take the season series. That gives them the tiebreaker over the two teams that trail them in the West. And the Seals are are a hot ticket right now. Um, They are doing great attendance-wise down south. Um, Their numbers continue to grow each week. They're sitting at an average of uh, just over 9,000 a game. That's incredible for an expansion team, especially in a non-traditional lacrosse market, to have that many, considering they are, they're getting more fans per game than Toronto and Rochester and Vancouver, three sort of, I guess you call them hotbeds-ish, especially Toronto and Vancouver. Rochester's a bit of a different story, but they've been around for a long time. So it's great to see San Diego having success both on and off the floor. I just hope they don't have that much success this weekend when they come to Colorado. Speaking of the Mammoth, they lost a big one in New England this past weekend. uh, And it was a game that they probably should have had. Um, 17-11, they were down early again. Another bad first quarter. They were able to claw themselves back into the game. They got it tied two or three different times. But a fourth quarter just was a disaster. A disaster for them. They were outscored 12-7 in the second half, and they just had no momentum after that third quarter. They were great in the second and third quarter. It was basically a 10-9 game between those two quarters. But being outscored 5-2 in the fourth, letting Callum Crawford explode for 12 points, 
Um, not really getting inside too often on Doug Jamison, who made 49 saves, uh, and he continues to impress. Mammoth are a team that is a little hot and cold. And after the game, head coach and interim GM Pat Coyle described it as a disappointing loss. Uh, he said they can't have the inmates running the asylum. Guys have to buy in. And they got to do it quickly because they got that game against San Diego this weekend on Saturday at home inside the Pepsi Center in what's going to be a huge divisional game. But there's still a lot of questions with this Colorado team, especially when you look at them giving up 17 goals. That is very unlike Colorado. And you can't hang them all on Dylan Ward. He only gave up 16. But I think when you look at this club, obviously there is some... I don't want to say dissension in the ranks, but obviously there are people who aren't on the same page. Obviously, there's a disconnect somewhere within that group where you can go from having a game tied at seven and next thing you know, you're giving up three. Get it back tied and then you give up four. There is just a mental block within that group and I'm sure it's driving Pat Coyle crazy and I'm sure it's driving a lot of guys in that locker room crazy that they just can't put things together. Coyle said, again, after the game, we're not going to score a lot of goals we usually don't give up a lot of goals, but when they give up way too many, it kind of puts them behind the eight ball. And so this is a group that's going to have to regroup quickly and refocus themselves on the Seals as they come to town in the second game that these two teams have played this year. They'll play one more later on near the end of the season. But for the Black Wolves, it was their sixth win out of seven games at home. And they're starting to get a little momentum going forward. Unfortunately, they still got Buffalo, Toronto, and Georgia ahead of them. Um, good thing they've got a game in hand on Georgia, who they trail by half a game. So they're still in this. They can easily climb into that top two seeds in the East and maybe get themselves a home playoff game if they can win some of these games in the second half of their season. But it's obviously going to be very tough if they do not have Callum Crawford. We'll find out the true extent of the appeal most likely Thursday or Friday when the league sends out their report. As we all expected, Callum Crawford and the PLPA appealed the suspension. Now here is where things kind of get dicey. And if you listen to um, Lacrosse Classified this week and you heard Jake and Evan talking about there are some in-the-air rumblings that... They may lessen the match penalty to maybe a major so that Callum Crawford doesn't have to serve those extra five games. And the argument becomes, is he getting preferential treatment? Are they treating him as a superstar and not just as a regular player? Is he leading the league in scoring? Yes. Is he on pace for a triple crown? Yes. But that shouldn't matter. It shouldn't matter if he is your leading scorer in the league, if he's a rookie, if he's a 10-year veteran, if he is your five-time defender of the year. It shouldn't matter. It shouldn't matter what your name is, what your points are, what your stature is. What matters is 
what you did on the floor to deserve the penalty. Now, obviously, the PLPA will argue that it didn't deserve a match, there was no intent to injure, and that it should be an illegal body check. That's my guess. They're not going to appeal the extra five games. What they're going to appeal is the straight-up fact that it shouldn't have gone to a match penalty. It should have just stayed a major. And I would imagine that the argument is that there was no intent to injure. And I take a little issue with that. And I said this last week on the show, and I'll say it again. It may not be an, a, a true intent to harm somebody, but when you are 6'5", 6'4", six, 6'5", six, six, whatever Callum is, and you jump, turn, and release your elbow away from your body, there's an intent there. And the intent, whether to harm or not, is the sole factor in what it should be a match penalty. You intended to jump, you intended to hit him in the head, and you intended to use your elbow. It's pretty black and white to me. And when you see the PLPA going to bat for a player in this situation, a lot of people will raise the double-edged sword conversation And it's always a valid argument. They are appealing to protect Callum Crawford to keep him on the floor. But on the other side, what they're saying to Brad Cree is, sorry, man, we're going to put Callum's fate in front of yours and we're going to try and lessen the penalty. It's a very slippery slope, and it's not one I don't think the league or the PA should really go down, especially if they're trying to get a superstar off because he's a superstar. He's got a 12-point lead in the points total. He's leading Lyle Thompson by four goals. He's second in the league in assists. He easily could win the Triple Crown this year, but not if he misses the the next six games, and I believe that if the league is going to continue to protect the players, they have to set a precedent. And this isn't a hate on Callum, because no, he's not a dirty player. He just made some bad mistakes, some bad judgment decisions, and those are going to cost him. I would be thoroughly shocked if his match was reduced to a major and he wasn't suspended for six games. Thoroughly shocked. I think the league needs to stand by Brian Lemon, need to to support Brian Lemon, stay true to what he said in his ruling, and hopefully the appeal gets turned down, denied, and we move on. Because if you let him go, the next quote-unquote superstar player that's put in this position will raise the same argument. And if you're doing it for Callum Crawford, are you going to do it for 
just pulling names, David Brock? Are you going to do it for Steph Charbonneau? Are you going to do it for Nick Weiss, Matt Beers? Are you going to do it for Austin Stotts? Like, where do you draw the line? I understand New England wants Callum Crawford in the, the lineup every game. Obviously, that makes sense. I know the National Lacrosse League would love to have their leading scorer in the league and play. The National Hockey League suspended Connor McDavid two games for a headshot. He's arguably the best player in hockey, period. And now, because Callum Crawford has put himself in a position of two match penalties in two calendar years, letter of the law, automatic five additional games. I guess we just wait and see. But I truly, truly believe that if the league wants to continue with player safety and continue to be able to hold their head high and understand that they are doing the right thing, they cannot rescind this decision. They got to stand by it. They have to stand by it. Again, for our weekly chat with NLL Insider and the host of Greggy's Grinders, Pat Gregoire. How are you, my friend? Doing well, minus the, the fact that right now in Ontario, specifically just east of Toronto, it's feeling like minus 17 in March. So that's, oh. that's fun stuff. Oh, well, it's like seven degrees in March out here in the West. Oh. And I was golfing yesterday. Yeah, I know you. You you showed me. Don't worry, I know. <laughs> okay, just just making sure you're you're on point with your phone conversations. Don't want you to yeah. lose track of you know the fun that's being had all the way out here on the west coast. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'll be able to golf one one day. One of yeah. these days. You didn't even get to golf on your birthday though. No, that's I know. Be a heartbreaker. I don't think I actually I can safely say it. I've never golfed on my birthday, so that's got to change. <laughs> that does got to change. Uh, yeah. Happy belated birthday. Thank you. Um, I dug up a fantastic archive picture of you and some wicked facial hair from your lacrosse days. Uh, where was that from? Where were you playing with that baby uh, so that was, uniform? Yeah, yeah, that was uh, with the Madai Mavericks, D3. I played uh, played school there just outside of Buffalo. Um, well, right in Buffalo, just off the border. So I uh, played there for four years. It was a lot of fun. We had a bunch of other Canadians on the team, and uh of course, Canadians being Canadians, on picture day, we decided to do uh, some outrageous stuff. Maybe not as outrageous as you, Albany, does, but uh, <laughs> yeah. we were a little a little before their time anyway, so we'll take credit for that. Um, any names that we know that went to school with you? Uh, not uh, not uh, that you guys would probably know. Uh, Brock Levick's probably the most notable. He had some time, uh, a cup of coffee with uh, Rochester, but... Uh, no, not not uh, no notable names. 
but uh, we were we were we were known for maybe some other reasons uh, away oh. from the lacrosse field. Oh, oh the D three life, as it were. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, let's get back to the NLL life, and uh, we got John every week, and we're going to talk this week um, about some statements you made about your grinders last week. Uh, you want to touch on Brian Cole, but let's start with the New England Black Wolves, who've now won six at home. They're six and one inside the Chino, as you like to call it, uh, a big win <laughs> over the Mammoth this past weekend. It could be the last game without Callum Crawford, and if so, he went out with a bang. But mm-hmm. how impressive have you been with this New England Black Wolves squad, especially at home? Uh, it's it seems like you know at, at points. They look unbelievable uh, when they're playing at home and, and when they're playing fast, and that's, that's the big thing for me. Uh, whether it's on the defensive side of the floor or the offensive side of the floor, they just play up-tempo, uh, and it seems like everyone's buying in. And that, that really has been the message um, from day one, and I think you could even go back and listen to some of the sound that uh, Glenn Clark has said throughout you know, the last couple of years that he wants to play fast. He wants to play, you know, as a unit. And we haven't really seen that in the years past, but this year we have, and especially within the last few weeks. Of course, obviously, Callum Crawford uh, has been the big, big uh, piece to this puzzle. He's definitely been the most valuable player on this Black Wolves team, and he's been the best, or MVP for the entire league. Uh, And they are a wagon with him in the lineup, but... Without him in the lineup, which there's a good chance, and it's going to be six games. I know uh, there are some rumblings that maybe that uh, that match penalty might get rescinded. Uh, I know that Jake Elliott mentioned that on his podcast today, so that that that's something to follow. But if he is out for six games, uh, they've got some some proving to do. Most notably, the right-handed side of the floor. Uh, Tyler Digby's been been great, uh, but I think a lot of that is because you know the chemistry that he's built with Callum Crawford. Uh, you know their lefties have been very strong as well. Uh, you know Stephon LeBlanc had another great game. Um, you know O'Connor's been very solid as well. A very very strong season for him. But again, I think a lot of the production on the offensive side of the ball has been because of how good Crawford has been. So this next little stretch, if they can survive and even, let's say, stay afloat at 500, uh, when he gets back into the lineup, obviously he's not going to, you know, he might not be able to pick where he, you know, pick up where he left off. Uh, but we know how hard he trains. We know that there's a lacrosse stick in his hand uh, every single day when he's coaching. Uh, and it's not like he's going to have to dust off the rust. Obviously, he's, it's different from playing in a game. Uh, but if they can survive and not allow Rochester, who's you know falling off the face of the earth, to catch up, uh, I think they're still a contender. Yeah, they're actually in a pretty good spot. We talked this about this a little bit last week. Just where they are, they're what four games up on both Rochester and Philadelphia for that fourth and final spot in the East. Uh, mm-hmm. They have a pretty I don't want to say uh, an easy schedule over these next six games that uh, Crawford could very well miss, and he does come back. It's for the last game of the year uh, at the end of April. So uh, this is a team that, that people should be wary of. Uh, I think one of their biggest impacts and biggest reasons they've been so successful has been the play of Doug Jamison, though. Yeah, uh, you know, Doug Jamison has, has been tremendous, especially within the last few weeks. Uh, I'm not too sure the, exactly the, the amount of number, uh, it is, but uh, it just yeah, another 40-plus save uh, performance under his belt. And we're kind of seeing the goaltender that we saw him in junior, and that's 
you know, technically sound and no, no panic in him. And, and that's truly the goaltender that he is. Uh, I, I think obviously it took him some time to get used to the bigger nets uh, and not having the big Woody in his stick. Uh, but uh, you can tell he's definitely got used to it. And not just that, uh, the way New England is playing, they're allowing, uh, you know, Doug Jamison to see the ball where he wants to. They're directing where the shots are coming from. And when they do falter, he's coming up with those big saves. Uh, the, the defense, though, has been playing much better with him mm-hmm. in the net. Uh, you can tell they're just so much more confident, uh, and they feel like that they can win every single game. They know they have, though, all year. They've been playing that underdog card uh, pretty much since the start of the year that no one believes them uh, and everyone's picking against them. Uh, but now they have that confidence. Now they're being able to back up that confidence as well, and you can definitely see that. And, yeah, you know what? Maybe it is sparked from their young goaltender and how well he's been in that. Are you still picking against them? I, I, if I don't pick against them uh, and, and they lose, Clarkie and Durazio are going to be coming for my head. <laughs> so I think I still got to go. I'll sacrifice the picks and I'll take the loss because they'll be knocking at my door. And there's some big guys on that defense. I know they'll be sending my way as well. So I don't want to deal with that. <laughs> uh, speaking of Clem, uh, obviously he wasn't there this weekend or last. He's dealing uh, with some family issues. His son, I believe, has leukemia. Do you have an update uh, on his son or how things are going? You know, uh, I, I obviously that, uh, you know, they, they, uh, that became public just a couple weeks ago. But, uh, you know, they're, they're staying very positive. Uh, they're they're fault- listening to, you know, the doctor's orders. Uh, they have a plan. Uh, it, it does sound like it's going to be uh, everything should be good, but it's going to be a long road. Uh, they're in good hands with Toronto sick kids. Uh, and, and I know the Durazios and, and uh, you know, the New England Black Wolves and the Toronto Beaches, uh, they have a very strong support group. They're going to be okay. Uh, they're, they're a strong family and they have some, some strong characters around them that I know they're going to, they're going to battle and, uh, their little guy is going to be okay, but it is going to be a long, long road and, uh, any thoughts and prayers going their way certainly, certainly will help. Absolutely. Um, one last thing before we move on, Callum Crawford, uh, leading the league in points. He's second in goals. I think he's third in assists. Uh, he had a real shot at the triple crown and if he misses, uh, this next, third of the season that's really going to be tough for him to pick Mm -hmm. up um one guy that you were really impressed with this weekend i think he had a career game three and three was brian cole Mm -hmm. of the georgia swarm uh we always talk about the depth of this club how impressive and important is it for them to get numbers out of sort of the unlikely heroes it's huge i mean i think we kind of gone away from it, but near the start of the year, everyone was talking about, you know, how good of a year that, you know, Lyle Thompson and, and um, Randy Stotts were having and how they were kind of going back and forth, trading goals, trading big games, and really taking over that offense. And as the season progressed, that went from being a strong point to their weakness because really outside of those two, um, they weren't getting much consistent uh, scoring out of anywhere else. I mean, especially on that left-handed side, you look at the top six scorers on that team, five of them are righties. Shane Jackson being the only one, and he himself will even admit he hasn't played the best lacrosse that he can. He's definitely starting to pick up. And I think a big point was that last game as well, having Cole there 
Uh, you know, they, they do live together. They work together. So they have some chemistry off the floor. And, uh, you know, Cole just adds a different dynamic up front. You look, obviously, a lot of guys, you know, even like a Shane Jackson or Thompson, they've got some grit to their game. Uh, you know, they're, they're offensive grinders, if you will, but they're still skilled, uh, talented players. Uh, they they you know on that left-handed side they were kind of missing a guy who can you know crash and bang free up space because Zed Williams has kind of really you know emerged as that big body on the the right-hand side they needed something on the left and you know what uh, Ed Gomo and and Dan Latasura kind of just wanted to switch things up see what worked uh, and certainly this did I thought Cole looked nice and the big thing for this Georgia Swarm team maybe a couple of years ago or even last year you couldn't really afford to take a defender off the floor and put him up the, uh, on the O-door like Cole. Uh, but this year, the defense has been tremendous. They have so many young guys out the back door that are able to run the floor, uh, and they can sacrifice maybe one guy to now go up on offense. And I don't know if that's going to be a long-term thing, uh, but I know that team is going to be happy knowing that they kind of have uh, you know, a, an option to throw a different look at a team if they need to play a little bit bigger and a little bit tougher. And they're going to need to play big and tough against the Buffalo Bandits this weekend, a huge game uh, that has top-of-the-standing implications in the NLL East. That could really shift things as we kind of move along in the season. Um, I want to take issue with you, though, Pat. I have um, a bit of a – something that grinds my gears, uh, as Peter Griffin would say. And in your last week's Greggy Grinders, uh, you gave a lot of love to Andrew Suter, which the guy always deserves because he's an absolute warrior. Um, but you really highlighted the fact of him blocking shots. And this is a stat that's not taken the National Cross League. I've always said that it probably should be a stat because these guys are diving in front of balls and putting their bodies on the line, blocking shots so that the goalies can't see them or get the shot taken on them. My issue is, though, too many guys are jumping in front of lacrosse balls and shooters and screening their goaltenders. How can a D guy kind of find the happy middle ground you know what so let me be clear so i i totally totally agree with you on that point i think this type of thing is a situational uh instance i mean first quarter guys jumping up and you know blocking shots screening their goalies there's really no point to that but let's let's keep it to uh, the specific situation with Suter. um if you kind of break things down first off uh, he doesn't if you do break it down, look. Go to the go to the article for the millennials. I, I dropped a GIF in there, so you don't have to even scrub through the entire clip yourself. It just goes right there. He actually jumps up, kicks his leg out, and allows Jameson to still see that ball. Uh, I know, obviously, if it goes off his leg, could bounce the other way. It's in the back of the the net, and you're saying, well, why did he jump in the way? It, it deflected in, but that sacrifice worked it blocked the shot and ultimately it, it was a game changer and if if you think about it the low crease guy uh his job on the pk is to take away that outside angle uh, and that's it and, and in that case Suter was actually out of position and he realized when the ball swung back to the left hand side of the floor he's thinking oh crap i'm, I'm not there so what does he do instead he jumps up gets a body in the way without even Jameson, you know, being blocked because in some other instances, some players might completely slide over and then now you're creating a screen. And I talked to a few goalies 
and I said, just kind of asked them what their thoughts on this were. And they all had different answers. Some, you know, would prefer the, you know, the player to not try to block it, but they're definitely, you know, happy to see when a guy blocks a shot and sacrifices it. Some kind of were on the same page as me saying that it's totally situational. Uh, but a lot of them did agree, you know, that guy, you know, anchored to the crease or if it's on the PK, if they're, they, they're taking away that angle and they're blocking the shots, they absolutely love that because that allows them to kind of cheat over and, and overplay that one angle. Uh, but they did say if it's a shooter up top and you're working with, you know, guys like, uh, you know, Adam Jones, uh, Cody Jamison, and you see a guy jumping up like that, they're going to eat you alive and, and use you as a screen. And, and they're almost inviting you to come out and try to overplay those hands or jump up. Uh, and they'll burn you with it. So I want to be clear. I don't think it was outlandish. Maybe I should have, you know, added a few characters, typed away a little more, and described it a little bit better than that. But uh, that's what I'm going with. And hats off to Suits because he's he's a hard uh, a hard nosed player. Uh, brings his lunch pail and his hard hat to every single game. And I think he he's had a really solid year with the the Black Wolves. He has, and I think you saying it as a situational thing, kind of lessens the outlandishness of it because (laughs) you're right when it's a six on five or a five on four that low crease guy is supposed to be the far side post guy so that the goaltender can see the short side or vice versa however specific teams play it it's more the Mm -hmm. five on five stuff that i get uh i take issue with when guys don't want to fight over a pick and all they're doing is just putting their arms up to try to block a shot and all they're doing is adding a bigger wider screen for the goaltender so uh situationally six on five five on four i get it five on five guys work your ass off get above the pick play some defense don't screen your goaltender because you'll get goalies and your defensive coaches yelling at you time and time again uh patty uh what's what's good this week in in the grinders what can we look forward to because i know you you always like to tease I, I do like this tease, but I, you know what? This one here, I'm not going to give it away like I did last week, but I will say uh, this week it was a lot of, of, of the same guys that you can expect uh, that are, you know, the unsung grinder heroes uh, that, you know, when you look at their stat line, they don't really jump up at you. But when you do break down the game tape uh, and you see those hard-nosed plays, those are the guys that you, that, that you really do start to appreciate. Uh, but now that I think of it, I'm giving these guys praise and, you know, writing about them every week. I'm now starting to wonder, are they unsung heroes if I'm singing their name each week? I, I don't know. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a slippery slope, man. Once you start, once you put a spotlight on a guy, he's no longer underrated and unsung. Yeah, I mean, I, I think last year, uh, you know, Marty Dinsdale, I had him as a, a grinder of the week almost every other week. And I kept saying how underrated he was. And I think it was Evan Schemenauer uh, tweeted at me saying, I totally agree with this, but when can we start taking off that underrated tag on him? Because I'm starting to think maybe he's properly rated. Yeah, and that's the thing. When you get get these uh, second string guys or the depth guys that are constantly contributing, it's tough to say they're underrated, but – in a mm-hmm. sense, they are because they're they're out spotlighted by guys like Matthews and Search and Shatler and Dunn McIntosh. Whereas you know your fourth, fifth, your your grinder guys, the Pat Gregoire specials, really do <laughs> become underrated because of all the little things they do. But true lacrosse fans will understand how important they are. Hundred percent, hundred percent. I know I I, when I, I coach uh, junior B lacrosse. By the way, congratulations. 
Thank uh, you. I'm glad to hear about your coaching gig. Thank you. Um, Appreciate that. I always I always tell my guys on defense, don't worry, we don't need any praise. Let the offensive guys let their their stats jump out on point streak. Don't worry, we're the ones. We'll we'll we'll, we'll go to work. We'll put in the work. We don't need the praise, but we know that uh, you can't win a championship. You can't win games. Uh, you can't have success without those grinders on the floor. Pat Gregor breaking things down every week here on the Off the Crossbar podcast as he does. Great job from Pat. Uh, we want to wish Clem Durazio's son and their whole family all the best, sending our love to them, and hopefully um, – you guys can find a solution and you can pull through this and get through this um, as a family. Uh, we will send you all of our thoughts and prayers. And, of course, uh, thoughts are and prayers are still with Michelle Fines, the wife of Warriors goaltender Aaron Bold, uh, who continues to battle stage four cancer. Uh, what a performance by Aaron Bold this weekend. Uh, didn't get the win, but uh, starting in his first game in a number of weeks, came out just put everything on the line to try and help his team win. Uh, He faced 58 shots, made 46 saves. He was busy all night long, and he kept his team in that contest. And, man, it's got to be hard traveling away from your wife, away from your family, having to go to work, having to put all that behind you and focus for 60-plus minutes on the task at hand when you know back home everything that's going on. So much love to um, Aaron Bold. And again, huge thoughts and prayers to Michelle, to Clem, uh, the Drazio family, and everybody on both sides who are just going through some very, very tough times. The Philadelphia Wings are going through some tough times. They've only won twice. They've been struggling as an expansion team. They look coast to coast and they see their Western brother, San Diego, having some success and you know that they wish they could be there. Give them time. This is a team that's in a slow build. They've had some highs, they've had some mediums, and they've had some lows, but they've been in a lot of lacrosse games. Their record of 2-8 and eight could easily, could easily be close to 500. This is a team that hasn't played in two weeks. They're finally going to get back to action this weekend when they take on the Buffalo Bandits at home. When you look through that roster, the addition of Kevin Crowley has been massive. The leadership of Kyle Matisse, Jordan Hall, has been incredible. I wonder where this team would be if they hadn't lost Brett Hickey. You'd like to think they'd still be able to have gotten Kevin Crowley to bring him in to join that offense, but imagine that right side with Hickey and Crowley and Matisse on it. On the back end, you got leaders like Zach Reed and Dylan Evans. Liam Patton, a young player who's got some experience. Chet Konezny's been in and out of the lineup, but they have some leaders back there. So they may not be having the success right away of San Diego, but they're putting the pieces together. They're trying to bring themselves together as a group. And head coach and GM Paul Day has been doing quite a steady job with that crew. Again, it hasn't been perfect, but it's not like it's been a total write-off either. Their last game was a 17-11 loss to the New England Black Wolves. After that game, 
players, coaches, staff, they all had two weeks off. So what did head coach and GM Paul Day do with his time off? Work the first week and uh, guys get some rest and then uh, enjoy the next week in Mexico. It was great. We, uh, we've seen teams struggle off of two weeks break and we've seen teams have success. How do you prepare your team coming into this week after such a long layoff? Uh, you know, the boys got together last week for a practice, so um, got a good run. And I think we needed a bit of a break after uh, our last weekend was home to New England, kind of bus all night, play in the afternoon, and then right. some tough weather in Boston. Some of us had to drive another nine or ten hours home from that cool. game because couldn't get flights. So right. it was, it was, I think it was a much-needed break. And, you know, our last four games, we've won two of our last four uh Things have been going pretty well, and uh, we probably had a worse game in New England in those four games. But that being said, it was a good time for a break and ready to get back at it. And, uh, you know, we were kind of trending in the right way uh, our last few games, so I'm excited to get back at it against Buffalo. You're in the second half of your season. Uh, obviously, it's an expansion club. There's obviously highs and lows, but how would you rate your club uh, in your first half in the NLO? Uh, you know, I think our, we probably deserve a better record, but yeah. that would be a couple of those games would be on us. And, uh, I mean, we're, we're where we are because of us. So, you know, we've grown quite a bit as a group. Uh, we've had some real young guys step up and play really good. You know, Steph Charbonneau, Liam Patton, mm-hmm. uh, Rambo and Blaze have been real good. And then, you know, they obviously Kyle Matisse having a pretty good year for everybody. And adding uh, Kevin Crowley has been great for us. So. Uh, you know what we you know we're we've struggled, but uh, it's it's a great group, and I've been in a lot of locker rooms, a lot of dressing rooms, and lacrosse, and this is this is one of the best ones I've been around. How important is it to have the leadership of guys like Kyle and now Kevin and Jordan Hall in that locker room to help this young group kind of fight through the struggles of a slow start to the season? Yeah, it's huge. I mean, I think uh, you know obviously spend quite a bit of time together as a coaching staff with the players. So I think when the internal leadership is strong, that's, that's very, very important. And, you know, some of the reason we picked a guy like Jordan Hall and Kyle Matisse, Brett Hickey, unfortunately he's out for the rest of the year, but, mm-hmm. you know, strong guys like that. Dylan Evans is, you know, won three championships in this league and probably three or four man cups. He's pretty strong voice back there. And Zach Reed. So we've got guys like that that are, you know, real strong voices that are, that are really helping the young guys. What's the biggest challenge for you and, and D coach Ian Rubel uh, teaching some of these new indoor guys or field guys who are new to the indoor game, teaching them your system? What's the toughest sort of bridge to gap? Well, I think experience is the toughest thing. Um, we were lucky enough. Liam Burns played in Brampton and Adam Osika uh, also played in Brampton uh, some summer senior lacrosse. So, yeah. They've got a little bit of experience, and then you know a few of the other guys with Team USA or in the league have a little bit of experience. But that's that's the biggest part of the experience. There, you know, as you played in the U.S. and U.S. guys are so coach, coachable, and I yeah. think they they are all very very coachable. And you know, a lot of times just back there you have a guy like Vino or a, a veteran goalie. We've got two pretty young guys back there, so that makes mm-hmm. it difficult. Um, but uh, we know as goaltenders they're going to grow because. You know, one's 24 and one's 26. So I think that's yeah. big for us. 
Did it ever cross your mind to take Frank in the expansion draft? Uh, not really. I mean, uh, I wanted to take Hickey. I really like Hickey's game, and I know yeah. sometimes how the scoring is. And I think Frankie, he had a really good man cup against us too. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, obviously there were some free agents available at the time that we were were pursuing as well. Uh, right. You know, once August, we knew there'd be some free agents in August. So, you know, uh, I think it would be tough for a guy coming from the West Coast of Philadelphia yeah, uh, yeah, every weekend too. That might be a bit tough. I know uh, Brody McDonald in the league had to do it at Georgia before, and it was pretty tough. Yeah. And uh, you never know in weather. So, Absolutely. you know, unless a guy's going to relocate, that would be a pretty tough go. Fair enough. Um, we talked to Ian Rubel a little bit. How has he adjusted to coaching in the NLL? Good. Uh, you know, I, I knew him from not just lacrosse. I've known him for a long time through lacrosse, but also police work too. And, uh, you know, spent a lot of time in Victoria as a player as well. So dedicated, well-prepared, fitness is big. Um, he's unbelievable on his job day to day. He works in computer investigations with the police service. So uh, he put together a package and training camp for our young D guys. He'd have uh, basically video clips with um, animation in between. This is how we want our defense to move. This is how the player is going to move. So real good on the bench. He's been real good. Him and uh, Tracy do a real good job. So yeah, I couldn't be happier. It takes a little pressure off you having experienced guys on either side of you. Yeah, and guys that aren't that far removed from mm-hmm. you know the game, obviously. He was, you know, a real big part of a Toronto defense for five or six years when they won three championships. And, yeah. you know, they were a, a defense that, you know, been one of the best in the NLL and uh, played for us in Rochester. And then Tracy, one of the greatest leaders in the National Cross League as a player. So it's they gain respect right away. And, and they also do it all summer long. It's 12 months a year for us. So it's nice to have guys like that that live the game all year round. Obviously, a lot of noise was made about Trevor Baptiste and, and his introduction to the box game. How impressed have you been with his maturation process this year? Good. Jeez, uh, he's. Uh, I mean, he plays quite a bit of defense too. I think people think that he doesn't, but you know, one of our main defensemen is Kyle Matisse playing D, so he plays a lot of O. So if he's playing a lot of O and D, and we run ten guys at the back door, that means Trevor has to play D. So. Uh, he's, you know, he's done really well. He's going to be a real good indoor player. He likes the box game. Um, he loves the box game, actually. So, yeah. uh, man, he's just a fantastic guy around, around the room. So, obviously, you know, it's going to take time for him to learn the, the small parts of the game, but uh, he's working at it all the time, and uh, uh, he never stops asking questions. So, yeah, we're real happy with him. And, you know, a guy like Matt Rambos had a, yeah. had a, has, had a pretty good, he grows and gets better. It's a big thing with him is confidence and yeah. understanding that it's just lacrosse and shoot the ball whenever you get a chance. So they yeah, were pretty happy with, and the, they're just fantastic guys in the room. They like to have a lot of fun, and that, that kind of that's the kind of vibe and the the culture that we're trying to to build in Philly. When when you deal with Matt Rambo, I saw a quote from you a while ago that you said, "Just go out and play lacrosse. Don't worry, indoor or outdoor. Just go play your game." He's really starting to find his role within your offense. Yeah, and I mean he's a pretty dynamic guy. He's built like a a box player. He's yeah. low to the ground, and 
you know, his first two shifts in Buffalo in an exhibition game, he's picking and rolling and did a really good job. But, I mean, at the end of the day, he's going to learn that. That's not going to be his game. His game's going to yeah. be attacked the net with speed underneath, over the top. Um, and that's what we want him to do. Um, we really wanted him to game three or four. We were in Toronto and we uh, kind of tweaked the hamstring. So we watched that game. I said, just watch. Here's some players to watch tonight. Just watch yeah. them play and, uh, you know, watch them on and off the floor. The kind of little things and watch for above him. And, you know, he's been in the lineup ever since. And I think he learned that he doesn't have to think, he just has to do it. So obviously a big part of the Philadelphia lacrosse community too, working, you know, working with kids. He lives there. He's born and raised there. He was a Wings family as a kid. So this is, uh, you know, this has been real good for him. And, you know, he's he's going to be a hell of a box player. How has the, the Philadelphia community embraced the return of the Wings? Well, I think we're top five in the league in attendance, and we've won two games at home. So, yeah, uh, it's been real good. It's been real loud. And I think they appreciate the way, you know, we may have lost games, but we've never been outworked. We've never, you know, we we play a fun style of game. We want to really play hard. We want to play fast. And that, that's the kind of mentality of the city, and that's the mentality of our, our team and the organization. So, They've been real good, and uh, I think there's a lot of new Wings fans there as well, which I think is really good. The, the sport of lacrosse is growing, yeah. uh, you know, in that area. It's growing, growing like crazy. Big game against Buffalo this weekend at home. Speaking of at home, uh, how important is this for your, your group to get off to a quick start? Yeah, I mean, uh, they're coming off a, a week off as well, which is kind of nice. So, um, you know, we're... Uh, you know, we're looking forward to the challenge. We played pretty good against them uh, both games. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. we were tied uh, both games in the fourth quarter against them. We had some really good five-on-five games with them. And, uh, you know, they got, they're got they an explosive, dyna- dynamic team with a great goaltender. So we got to make sure that we're disciplined. And one of the things we've noticed, our first uh, five games of the season, we're averaging over six penalty minutes. Of, not penalty minutes. We're shorthanded at least six times each of those games. And then... The past five, we've been down to, you know, being shorthanded three times a game, which is, is much more manageable for a young group. So that's one of the things these next eight games that we've got to focus on is, uh, you know, maintaining our discipline and playing as much five-on-five lacrosse as possible. Uh, any Bruce Springsteen concerts in the future? Well, I'm hoping he just, you know, he's probably taking about a year off, and I'm hoping that he'll be back at it uh, Maybe next year. That's what I'd like. A year off? What is this? Well, he just taking a year just, off. He just spent lots of time in, on Broadway, so now oh. he's got to regroup and get the band back together. Hopefully, they're pressing <laughs> him. I would love to go see him next fall or whatever. We could be possible. No better place that I know to see him is in Philadelphia. Dear Bruce Springsteen, please do a concert in Philadelphia so my good friend Paul Day can go and sing his heart out. He is a massive, massive Bruce Springsteen fan. Uh, I can't remember. Uh, he's told me once before. I can't remember how many times he's seen the boss live, um, but he is um, a fanatic. He tries to see him whenever he can, and he's got a good crew of people that he likes to go with every time. So uh, hopefully, Paul, you can get your wish, and the boss uh, is off Broadway and back touring very soon. Always a pleasure to catch up with Paul Day. Uh, He was the man that helped draft me to Rochester. Uh, He was the man that helped get me to Edmonton. 
I have all the time in the world for that gentleman. Uh, great talking with him just in general um, about life and lacrosse. And, and before we sort of started recording, we talked about uh, his time out on the coast uh, this past summer. And, you know, we were just talking about ferrying back and forth from the island to the mainland. And he mentioned that he took a Harbor Air flight up to Nanaimo and he was just in awe flying over Vancouver Island, just being able to see all the smaller islands and being able to see coast to coast as far as the eye can see. Uh, I highly recommend for any of you people that are making your way out west for holidays or coming to check out a lacrosse game, whether it be during the NLL season in Vancouver or maybe a summer game out here on the island, take the ferry, stop off at some of the islands, enjoy it. Because if you just kind of go back and forth to the mainland and the island and you don't explore, you're going to miss a lot, especially if you don't get to see it from all the positive angles. That'll do it for this week here on the Off the Crossbar podcast. Thanks to Bill Greer, Pat Gregoire, and Paul Day, as always. Four games this weekend. They start Friday. Buffalo at Philadelphia. Buffalo will then get on the road, head back home to take on the Swarm on Saturday. San Diego is in Colorado. Toronto is at Calgary. Toronto-Calgary, always an incredible game. You can go back to when Calgary first came in the league and they were having just absolute bloodbath battles. Uh, Jimmy Quinlan and, and Andrew McBride fighting. Uh, Dan Latissour fighting. Uh, Ian Rubel, Timmy O'Brien, Ryan McNish. The, the names go on and on. There were some incredible fights. I think John Harrison and Pat Merrill fought. Uh, in that main game that I'm talking about, there was about five or six fights in the last half of the fourth quarter. Uh, those two teams always play great games. Buffalo-Philly, uh, old-school style across game, an original matchup uh, of MILL teams. Obviously, it's lost a bit of its luster since Philly relocated. Now they're back, but the fans still have that passion. But obviously, the game I'm looking forward to, San Diego at Colorado uh, myself, Jamie Shuchuk, John Gallant will have the call from you, uh, for you from the Loud House. Catch it live on BR Live. You can watch all the games there. Uh, the league just signed a new deal with Geico. Uh, you can all save 15% or less just by switching to Geico. Do it. You'll get to see a lizard and some cavemen. So join us uh, Saturday from Denver. Uh, if not, Catch the replays on BR Live, and we'll talk to you right back here. Same time, same place next Tuesday. At Off the Crossbar is the Twitter handle, teddy.jenner at gmail.com is the email address. Find me anywhere. I'm pretty much on socials 24-7. That'll do it. Until next time, be excellent to each other. Woman, don't try to love me, don't.